Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Good afternoon and welcome to Engage for Success, the radio show number 516, Neurodivergence in the Workplace. So today we're going to be talking about neurodivergence as both a leader and as an employee. I'm Jo Dodd, your host for today. I'm an engagement consultant working within the Engage for Success core team. The Engage for Success movement is an inclusive movement committed to the idea that there is a better way to work by releasing more of the capability and potential of people at work. We spread the word about employee engagement and shine a light on good practice, inspiring people and workplaces to thrive. And we're widely supported across the UK, involving the public, private and third sectors. If you go to our website, engageforsuccess.org, you can use the link at the bottom of the page to join our newsletter list and all our social media links are there too. So I'm excited today to say that my guest is Kathy Brown, who's an Engaged Success Advisory Board member, former exec director, and actually one of our first two volunteers, or rather secondees, uh, when the movement uh, first started, and, and a regular visitor to the radio show, including having hosted this on a number of occasions. So welcome, Kathy. Um, lovely to have you on the show. Always lovely to be here, Joe. And we were reflecting before we came on that uh, you weren't always supposed to be on this show, were you? I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> but who best to, <laughs> to join a show at the last minute than somebody with ADHD? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So the show wasn't going to be about, about neurodivergence, but it now is. And um, you've um, got a really interesting story about yourself um, personally around mm. neurodiversity and uh, neuro, neurodivergent uh, thinking and being and um, also some sort of reflections on your time as a leader with that. Now you know to, that that's where you are. Um, and also, you know, as somebody who's been working and, and had some help with reasonable adjustments and that sort of thing. So we're going to do a, a yeah. wide-ranging conversation here. But perhaps start by, by telling people a bit about, you know, the background of why you're now a bit of an advocate for mm. neurodivergent thinking in the workplace. Absolutely. So I realized um, a couple of years ago now that the various challenges that I've been experiencing both in work and in life um, had actually got a, a deeper um, issue, if you like, a, a deeper reason for being there. Um, and I'd always experienced uh, procrastination. Um, I mean, you will know how often I've complained to you about that. Um, I, you know, I can be seen as quite disorganized. Um, there were a number of things, quite high levels of anxiety. And uh, a friend of mine was going through her own diagnosis journey um, and posted um, a video onto Facebook that I saw and, and watched. And it put on a load of light bulbs for me um, about potentially what was causing my own difficulties and challenges. And so over a weekend, um, I entered what I now recognize as a complete ADHD hyper-focused rabbit hole. And I read seven books, <laughs> read them all out to my partner going, do I do this? And he's going, yes, yes, you do that all the time. Um, which, which made me realize that clearly I needed to consider that ADHD was a factor um, in, in how I was being and dealing with my life. And, um, I was fortunate that I was in a position to not have to wait for an NHS assessment. Uh, so many people will be aware that there is an uptick in diagnosis and assessment for things like ADHD and autism and a number of other related conditions. Um, so I was able to get diagnosed through a private 
clinic um, and go straight on to medication, which is one of the indicators, in fact, that you do have ADHD, is that the medication really makes a difference. Um, and if you take it and you mm. don't have ADHD, it does not make a difference. Uh, and so I was able to... Um, so sort of get a handle on it quite quickly, get that certainty that, in fact, I was dealing with a condition that is neurological rather than behavioral. Um, and so that I, you know, one of the things I needed to do was come to an acceptance that I was always going to be like that. And some of these challenges that I'd experienced were never going to go away. And that actually changes your approach to dealing with it. But it was a complete surprise to me at the age of 53 to realize that ADHD was such a factor. Um, I, it just had never mm. crossed my radar as to, at all as applying to me. Mm. Mm. And I think the other thing that um, struck me, and I've heard it from other people in a similar position, it wasn't even just that sort of um, surprise. It was that sort of it, things started to make sense at that moment, oh, didn't they? You had sort of I, like a, a, a sort of, a sort of um, a spy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and because part of the process of assessment is around um, the impact on you from, from really quite early years, so your childhood as well, um, it just explained so much to me personally. It explained my difficulties at school. Um, it explained the fact that I only got a year and a bit into my degree before I had to give it up. And that's a really common um, pattern for somebody with ADHD, particularly women, unfortunately. Uh, it explained the sort of various points at which I'd had um, quite noticeable mental health issues. Um, and they were clearly around points in my life where I was feeling overwhelmed. So with a young child, for instance, or um, with family bereavement. Um, and in fact, when I was finally diagnosed, what had tipped it over was menopause, which is really common, a really common diagnosis point for women. Mm. And, and, it, and it just made a lot of things make sense in terms of your working. You mentioned briefly at yeah. the beginning about talking to me about productivity and procrastination, um, on, mm. you know, regularly. We talked about it a lot, didn't we? And, and, and all we of did. a sudden it made sense to you. Yes. Yeah, procrastination is probably my, my primary symptom, the symptom I have the most difficulty with. And you, you internalize a sort of dialogue of failure around it, really, because you're procrastinating about things that you know need to be done, that you want to do quite often. You know, you want to do these things, and yet you are unable to motivate yourself to do them and there's no clear reason why so of course you internalize a message to yourself that that this isn't how people behave um and so you're you're not normal um and that that you're either lazy or you're not good enough because obviously everybody else can deal with this stuff but you can't and um one of the things that i realized quite early on is that um one of the ways that we look at motivation in the world is we tend to assume that everybody is motivated by rewards and consequences, carrots and sticks. Um, people with ADHD are not. That, that doesn't motivate us. So I've been trying for all of those years to motivate myself through a model that my brain doesn't actually recognize. So I am motivated mm -hmm. by things that interest me um, and things which are urgent. Uh, so which is a, a completely different way of thinking about it. And and if you, you know, it applies again, both in work and in life. But if you apply that in a workplace, you begin to understand why I always struggled with things like um, objectives, 
because meaningless unless I was actually interested in it the fact that I might experience a consequence through not meeting that objective was not motivational to me in in any way at all uh, so all of a sudden all these sort of pieces where I hadn't ever felt that I fitted were making sense because that's how my brain works my brain doesn't work in the same way as about 90% of the population mm-hmm. so I can't remember the stats. I've seen them somewhere about the, the sort of stats of people in employment with mm. uh, neurodivergent brains, if you like. But I, I know, you know, many people don't have employment or, or don't sort of fulfil their potential for, for various reasons. Mm. You have had a really successful career whilst yeah. sort of struggling with some of these things, <laughs> which now sort of make a bit more sense. Um, t- talk a bit about about that because. You, did, you didn't know and you did what you did and you did very well with it but sort of you've probably got a different approach now now that you know more about how that works for you as a leader and as, as an employee. I, I have and some of that has come with age um, because although I can't change the way that my brain works I obviously at, at the age of now 55 I do have a good understanding of how other people work and sort of the ways in which I need to either behave or have coping strategies in order to progress, um, which I didn't have as a younger person in the workplace because I hadn't built up that sort of understanding of the fact that I needed to to do things in slightly different ways. So I've always um, sort of tried to accommodate some of the things that that are challenges for me. Um, And I'm fortunate that I've worked in companies where that's been accommodated. So where I've had the confidence to speak Mm. out and actually say, I need to work in this way, even though I haven't realized why I need to work in that way, um, you know, it it has been accommodated. Um, So for instance, I Mm. really struggle to uh, work from home. Um, I, I get immensely distracted. It's where the distraction in my ADHD comes from. And that's not the case for many people with ADHD. They actually get distracted in workplaces. Whereas I find mm-hmm. I, tend to, I, I need um, a sort of buzz of people around me and that enables me to tune them out and focus. Um, so, for instance, at one point during my time at BT, um, I was classified as a home worker because the place that I was working in, um, that was common um, for the job role that I was doing. Um, and I, in the end, had to go to my manager three months in and say, I need to revoke my home working. I need to work in an office. Um, and we didn't have, I would say, any understanding or ability to articulate why I needed that. But I did. And they listened to me. Um, and I was able to revoke my home working and come back and work in an office, which enabled me then to have that focus and concentration that, that you know, made me able to do my work. So um, mm. it, it made sense of a lot of that for me. To, to The coping strategies that I had developed were all around trying to to deal with some of these, these issues, if you like. But it takes a lot mm. of energy mm. to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so... When you were diagnosed, you you were in a senior role, and um, mm. you you know you 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 disclosed didn't you immediately? And tell I us did. a bit more about sort of how that works. Yeah, um, so I'd actually not long into um, a chief executive role at the Initiative for Social Entrepreneurs in Birmingham, um, and so I think the diagnosis was about or three months after I'd started. Um, so obviously a, a new environment, um, a new board. And quite a lot to 
to deal with there. And and I had to actively think about whether or not I chose to disclose that piece of information. Um, But I'd been very passionate about um, insisting that we should be a disability confident organization. And the organization works with um, the entrepreneurial population. Um, so, uh, you know, say social entrepreneurs. And what I realized very quickly was that um, the entre- entrepreneurial population has a really high incidence of neurodivergence. Uh, it's about 40% as opposed to about 10% in the general population. Uh, and that's obviously because people with things like ADHD, autism, dyspraxia, dyslexia, dyscalculia, um, we struggle in a normal workplace. And so, you know, we we quite often go off and start our own businesses and get ourselves out of that environment and into an environment which we can mm. control more. Uh, and so it seemed to me that it was it was both ethical from a point of view of the population that we were dealing with, that I was open about it, um, but also that it was actually important to me um, personally to do that. And um both the ISC team and the ISC board were hugely supportive. I mean, I, not everybody has that experience in their workplace, but I, I very much had mm-hmm. that in that, um, you know, that it, there was immediate uh, acceptance of it. Um, there was interest. Um, and then obviously there was also support of, of essentially whatever I required. What was interesting was that... Um, because as I said earlier, I'd already developed a, a set of coping strategies around how I knew I worked best. I had actually already put those in place and, and my workplace had agreed to them. So um, in many ways, at that initial stage, the reasonable adjustments that I wanted are, had already been put in place. Um, and that was just simply because I'd recognized over those years you know, my ways of working. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, the, the organization mm-hmm. all the way along was was hugely supportive of me which was great mm. and then you uh had some further help um which is actually mm. provided by the government which i had knew nothing about yeah. and the more i hear about it the more i'm like so impressed that it exists and i, I don't oh. imagine many people know about it absolutely no it's absolutely brilliant so it's a program called access to work and um, I, again, the same. I'd, I'd never experienced it through um, an employee of mine using it, and I'd never experienced it as an organisation. And somebody suggested to me that I looked at it. Um, and you, you register, essentially, which through the DWP. So you register with Access to Work. Uh, you do not need a formal diagnosis um, at the moment although I believe that may change and it covers all sorts of disabilities so what they address with you is the challenges that you experience in the workplace whether that's mobility whether that's executive function uh, such as I experience whether it's um, dexterity whether it's things around memory Uh, and so you you are assessed on the basis of your uh, the barriers to work that you experience whatever they are um i do think uh, my understanding is that that is changing at the moment and they are moving forward mm-hmm. with actually bringing full diagnosis in um as part of that as evidence at least but at the moment it's not required yeah. is my understanding uh, so mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. you register with the dwp for access to work and you receive an assessment which is facilitated by an external body that they employ to do 
that. Uh, that's usually held in your workplace. Um, so mine was done during COVID. Um, so it was done remotely, but I was sort of in the office while we were there. And, um, that, and that covers a huge range of, of things that are, are addressing um, the difficulties that you experience in a workplace and the things mm. that might be useful mm. to you um, to, to obviously help you work. And those things are not yeah. designed to do your job for you, but they are designed to remove those barriers that are in place. Um, mm. And so I was, mm. I was very um, hugely delighted to be awarded an Access to Work grant because it has fundamentally changed um, my ability to deliver what I deliver. So when I said earlier on, it takes a lot of energy um, to sort of fit in and work in a world which isn't really geared up for you and your brain. Um, so the support mm. that I receive takes a lot of that effort away from me and allows me to do the bits that I'm really good at. Um, so, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I no longer need to do things like um, organize my email and diary, <laughs> which is something I find deeply <laughs> boring and difficult. <laughs> and, and when I say that, one of the things people don't realize with ADHD is if I find something boring, my brain will make it invisible. My brain will, will not allow me to think about it. My brain will just wipe it from existence. So I'm not deliberately forgetting to do something. It, it just disappears because for an ADHD brain, boredom is the worst thing possible. And if, if I think something's boring, it just, it just vanishes. Um, and so having mm -hmm. human support, which enables those, those things that I find so hard to do and that take all my energy, obviously allows me to do the stuff I'm really good at, like relationship building and um, strategic mm -hmm. vision. Uh, and that type of thing and um and my my organization if at a certain size your organization will need to pay a contribution towards that although it's not a very high contribution and as a smaller organization um dwp cover the whole cost of it uh, and there are agencies mm -hmm. that can help you apply there are agencies that help you with those support workers um it's an incredible system i mean we we really ought to be shouting about it far more loudly than we do um yeah, yeah, I can't recommend it highly enough. If anybody's yeah. experiencing any form of challenge at work in that sense, you need to go and have a look at it and see if you would fit um, in terms of, of their eligibility criteria. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's just think about that now in terms of sort of thinking about managing people who may mm. have uh, neurodivergence uh, brains in, you know, whatever um, form. You mentioned a number of mm -hmm. the... Um, um, diagnoses that, that you could have, um, and, and one of, I suppose one of the challenges when you're managing people is they don't often know, like you, yep. you didn't know that you had this. Yep. You were you were quite self-aware and you've worked out strategies and shaped mm. things, and you're able to do that. But you know, you've got the situation where I don't know the the, the, the diary thing is a great example that you've got somebody who just doesn't seem to be able to organise themselves. They don't turn up for things or don't turn up on time or or whatever, um, and it could be because their brain is doing exactly what you've just said, like mm. completely blanking it. Yeah. Um, or it could be that they're just disorganised and disinterested and don't care sort of thing. Yeah. So that's part of the challenge as a manager is how do you deal with those situations it is. knowing that it, it is. could and, be. And the point is, you know. the point is you don't know. Um, and so, no. you, you, you know, uh, you need to think about policies within your organisation and practices and ways of working that will 
allow people to get the help and support that they need, regardless of what it is that's making them um, behave in that way. Uh, and so, for mm. instance, one of the things that you could look at would be your flexible working policy. Is it truly flexible um, or does it sort of single people out? Uh, and if it's truly flexible and people can just come and say, I prefer to work like this, I prefer to work like that, you can see that my performance is better if I work from home or if I work in an office or um, if, I, if I have a range of time in which I can arrive. Um, during the day. So time blindness is a really interesting ADHD trait. Um, we struggle with the concept of time in general. Uh, most of us uh, really only have a concept of now or not now. Um, and that makes timekeeping quite hard. So I'm in a small percentage of people with ADHD. I'm always early for everything. Um, most ADHD oh. people will, will be late for everything. Um, and we have generally have no sense of how Quick, how long things take us to do which is one of the executive function problems but what you could do with that yeah. if depending on work role and everything else is you say well yeah no okay you haven't got to be in for nine o'clock um shift working in a warehouse for instance um so you know i've experienced this um but you you've got a range of time you can be in between eight and ten you know you you've, you you know you've got to work seven and a half hours um, but we can be flexible for everybody um, about start and finish times, for instance. And, you know, that is more work as a manager. You've got to keep track of that. Um, but it's actually a better way of doing it than making specific individual arrangements for people. You know, if you've generally got a policy mm -hmm. statement around being open and fair for everybody, whatever that looks like for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting, I've worked with an organisation where one of our uh, people has recently been diagnosed with autism. She already knew she had ADHD, but um, sort of picked up the autism thing recently. And we were talking about reasonable adjustments and we were talking about asking people to put things in writing because she was saying that one of her challenges yeah. is that she can't always tell the nuance. So she, you know, she, yeah. she's quite literal and people say things and there's, there'll be implications that she doesn't pick up. And yeah. we talked about um, people putting things in writing, and um, then we, you know, we actually said, well, actually, from a project point of view, um, as a consultancy, it's actually useful to have things in writing anyway. So the fact yeah. that she, you know, extra benefits from it doesn't mean we just do it for her. Actually, <laughs> a lot of Indeed. things are quite good management practices anyway, aren't they? Of, of course, it is. And and people with dyspraxia, for instance, often struggle to follow conversations in groups so if you have a group briefing and lots of people are there they will often miss big chunks of that because they simply can't focus on a, a sort of active environment like that and take in what they need and so again you know a written follow-up of what's needed is really helpful there from an ADHD point mm, of view mm. from my point of view I struggle with briefings because I get distracted and I tune out in the middle you know, which sounds <laughs> ridiculous but that's what my, my brain has no filter and so that's when you're giving everything. them yeah <laughs> that's not yeah. when you're yeah. listening <laughs> yeah and so you know written follow-up for me is really good um, and so, yeah, you know, it's, yeah, it's yeah. the understanding that actually you can quite often simplify and make your processes better and more accessible and more helpful. And everybody benefits, you know, not just the person yeah, that you're yeah. singling out. And, and that approach is actually a far more human way of doing things than 
being yeah, very specific yeah. with people. And, you know, you, you can't, you, you've met one person with ADHD, you've met one person with ADHD. We are all different. Um, my yeah. son also has ADHD. Yeah. He and I are very similar in some ways, hugely different in others. So you can't ever make an mm. assumption mm. that you've got a set of reasonable adjustments that fit for people with autism or people with ADHD. You, know, you do need to understand yeah. individually from people their needs. Um, but, you know, in the main... They're, they're easy to accommodate. You know, none of these things should be particularly hard if you're an organisation which is keen to really create that inclusive environment. Yes, exactly. Um, you know, let's bring it back to, you know, employee engagement, the, the four enablers. Obviously, mm. you know, one of the enablers being engaging managers and one of the parts, you know, the traits of that is actually treating people as individuals. So it's really yeah. key, isn't it, to get to know your team, to get to know your people it individually is. for exactly, you know, the reasons you just said. It really is. It really is. And, and yeah. obviously some people find that harder um, than than other people. And that's not a reflection necessarily of management skill or ability. It's that's just simply personality. Some people are able to to connect at that level and and understand. Um, but I, I do think it's imperative as a manager and I mean really even as a colleague you need to know everything about everybody but one of the things that I do when I go into a new job now is um, I have a, a sort of meeting of whoever it is that I need to meet with or it's team or the board or whatever and um, and we do a round robin of these are the top three things you need to know about working with me um, so for instance for mm. me I never mind being nagged um, because I'm going to forget stuff we're going to have a conversation. I won't have written it yeah. down and it will go out of my head. So I never mind being nagged. I really, really don't like um, spontaneous phone calls. Uh, and so I won't answer them. <laughs> um, and that's because I've got a sensory processing disorder, as I now understand. And I find it really hard to talk to somebody when I can't see them. Uh, and, I, and I miss chunks of the conversation. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, it's got, it's got a background now that I understand. <laughs> um, and then the other thing mm -hmm. that I... I never mind and I always tell people to do is is you know you can ask me to do stuff at the last minute because I get a buzz out of that and for a lot of people they won't it's like oh you know I can't ask somebody to do that I've only got half an hour or whatever it is or you know it needs to be done really urgently I thrive on that um, and so I make mm. that clear so that's three things that you need to know about working with me um, and and we do that and say as a round robin, um, and people have all sorts of things that are, that come out when you have that conversation. That's just helpful to know about working with your colleagues mm. in whatever way it is. Mm. And as you say, it doesn't necessarily have to be because you've got a diagnosis or, or no. whatever. It's just this is how you prefer to work anyway. I yes. just we've just got sort of a couple of minutes left. What what are your thoughts about um, sort of being open about? having you know a neurodivergent yep. brain if you like um you were very open right from day one yep. um some people aren't and lots of people are worried and i guess yep. it depends on the organization uh, weird. What, are, what are your thoughts on that yeah. It completely depends on your confidence in the workplace with the people that you work with. Um, and so you know it's absolutely not for everybody um to you to be open as that way um one of the things about adhd is our tendency to massively overshare so it's perhaps unsurprising um, <laughs> that i have been open but um for me i felt that i was in i was in a position you know in my career where i didn't feel that it was going to be damaging 
to be open about it mm-hmm. and that actually I could be helpful to other people by being open about it. And it was important to me um, yeah. when I realized all of the stuff that I'd gone through in the whole of my working life that that was because of not understanding that I had this condition. Um, if I'm open about it and it makes one other person go off and read a book and think, oh, blimey that rings a bell then then I'm glad that I've been open and actually I've had that conversation with so many people with friends on Facebook with people on LinkedIn with people who've come to a conference where I've talked about it even if I've just mentioned it in passing as I've been chairing uh, an EDI stream for instance I will always have people who will come and find me later and go that's me or that's my daughter or that's my son or that's my colleague thank you for opening Mm. that conversation Um, and that that makes it all worthwhile for me yes absolutely and you know I I can sort of really vouch for that because you know once you were diagnosed you got me to read a book uh, or recommended it and then I've done lots of research since and it's made such a difference to my understanding you know in the workplace Mm. with people um, having sort of done that research and uh, you know, as you say, that there are more and more people being diagnosed or being becoming aware um, of, of those sort of differences, and, and for yes. all to understand that is so so helpful. I think it is. Mm. It is indeed. Yeah. Knowledge is good. Absolutely. So, um, thank you so much, Kathy, for joining me at the last minute, <laughs> <laughs> which obviously played to your strength. It did. <laughs> I really appreciate it, and you know, as you, you know, as you know, you're always welcome on the, the show. And uh, I'm sure you'll be hosting one at some stage. <laughs> <As we've been laughs> also going. fine, so as you, you know. Thank you for joining me today. <laughs> A pleasure. Yes, lovely. Thank you. And just to let uh, you know, next week um, it'll be me again, and I'm talking with Paul Reed, who's from Trickle.Works, um, and uh, I'll look forward to speaking to you next week. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.